We're going to share in God's good news together, standing as the people of God have done for centuries, sharing in God's good word from the gospel according to Luke chapter 24. Let's share in God's good word together. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the Master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here, but raised up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now you may be seated. All right. Friends, it's been a great, great week. Um, I love these little things over here. Um, Our Bible school uh, was about how to move in God's love and action and then act for God and care in God's name and how to follow Jesus. And tonight, uh, the students in the chapel are going to learn about how to share Jesus in the world. Um, And this night is unlike any other night uh, that we gather for worship. Uh, and I just, I just kind of want to own that up front. We have people who have been a part of our church here tonight uh, from almost its very inception back in 1999. Uh, and we're so grateful that we've walked together a long time. We have other folks that are new to our church. We've had more than 100 people join the church just since January. So we're a growing church. Uh, and we have all those sorts of growing pains that happens with that uh, as we build buildings and fill them up and build buildings and fill them up. And it's a great, wonderful thing to have happen. And I also know that some of you, all this is your first time at our church. And some of you are, are just waiting for your child to sing so you can go home. Now, I know that. It's okay. It's all right. We're glad you're here, however, however that is for you. Uh, but I want you to know that this week and hopefully this night is, is making a great difference for whatever stage of life you find yourself in. Uh, whether you are having a great, great time in your life or whether you are struggling, this is a place where God reigns, where God's will is done, where heaven kisses earth, even for brief times. So through the week, we asked the the children um, what they would like to pray about. And as you might imagine, uh, there are lots and lots of prayers about thank you for mommy and thank you for daddy and thank you for my brothers and sisters and uh, God bless me, give me a toy, funny drawings, those sorts of things. But there of of the more than 240 different prayers that we got from students of all ages, there were four that touched my heart and I wanted to share them with you. Um, I don't know what the last time you prayed this prayer, but our kids did this week. This little one prayed this. Uh, I pray for the orphans to be adopted. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Another little one wrote with their crayon, to help me face my fears. Well, that's, that's a prayer, isn't it? We could all pray that one. This one says, I pray because my family needs a house. My family needs a house. And one that touches my heart because as a pastor's kid I moved around a lot. I pray to have a good first day of school since I'm new. Remember what that was like to go to school for the very first time? And this week, whether you know it or not, people found a place where we prayed for orphans and we lifted up those in need and we worked towards providing housing for those who need it and we welcome those, whoever comes, and we start to make friendships. We start to share the love of God to everybody who's new around here in West Edmond. We thank God for what he's doing here.
So tonight we say, how do, how do we share Jesus? How, how do we do that? Now, for those of you who've been in church a long time, you're like, hey, you know, I've heard the sermon. I know you, know you say these things or blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're talking about. Sharing Jesus has been going on for thousands of years now. And, and one of my favorite quotes about following Jesus comes from St. Francis Assisi. Uh, he was born um, in 1182 and lived to 1226. Uh, if you'll read this with me. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You see, when we preach the gospel, it's about the way we love. It's about the way we give hugs. It's about the way we listen. It's about the way we pray. It's about the way we give care. It's coming alongside those and, and feeding those who are hungry and providing help for those in need. Being a good friend, being a father or mother, son or daughter brother or sister, both to those in our bloodline and those in Christ's bloodline. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words, St. Francis said. As a way of introduction, we are looking at the Easter morning message in Luke 24. But I would remind you that there's no crown without a cross. And so Jesus, having done everything that the Lord had asked of him, he was perfect all the way to death. He had come into Jerusalem and he had taught uh, in the temple and in the synagogues and he was loved by many, particularly those who he had healed and helped and despised by others who were threatened by his power. And so on Friday afternoon, Jesus died at 3 p.m. Friday afternoon. If you have your sermon notes, that's your first blank there. Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Now, this is important because Friday at sundown was the beginning of Sabbath. And they could do no work at sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, by Roman law, crucified criminals were to remain on their crosses to decompose. It was a warning sign for all to know, don't cross Rome, the occupying forces there. Because if you did, this is what would happen to you. So it was normative that they would simply leave bodies on the crosses until they were picked apart by the birds, um, until there was almost nothing left. It's really interesting that that wasn't the case with Jesus. They didn't even break his legs. They took him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb uh, that was brand new, had never been used before. And because the Sabbath was approaching, there was no time for the customary washing of the body. Uh, The body would have been certainly bloodied and bruised um, and in very bad shape. And so it was customary to take down um, a person from the cross at the very end. And if you were a Jew, to wash the body and to prepare it for burial. Uh, a tomb in Jesus' day um, would have looked something um, like this. Uh, everything's rock there in Israel. And so they would start to carve back into the walls of the rock. And then they would have a, a huge stone that they would have sort of up in a, in a crevice uh, and then roll it down. So it was real easy to get the stone in front of the tomb. It would have been very difficult. Uh, four, five, six men, strong men, would have to push it back away. And so they were created like this on purpose uh, so that you could bury people with ease and it would be very difficult to do anything with the body. So I love Eugene Peterson's um, translation of the Bible when it comes to this story. So I want to share it with you uh, from the message. He says it like this. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, right? So he dies Friday at 3 o'clock. There's been nothing done to the corpse. So you can imagine it it is a very dirty bad kind of work that you're going to have to wait that whole day and then come and try to finish preparing that body for burial. So it's in that, in that sort of expectation, almost dread, if you will, that the women come to the tomb and they're carrying the burial spices that they had prepared. 
When they found the entrance to the stone rolled back from the tomb, this would have been shocking. So they walked in, and, and in those tombs, there's a there's sort of a prepared place um, that where they would work on the body, and then to the right, that's where the actual remains would be. And so you sort of had two chambers in those tombs. Uh, you can go even today and see that. You go in a tomb, and there's sort of the area for preparation, and to the right is its final resting place, uh, where that body would normally stay for at least a year, uh, and then they would come and take the bones and put them in an ossuary box, uh, and buried them someplace else, perhaps. So they walked in, but once they were inside, they couldn't find the body of Jesus. And they were puzzled, and they wondered what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed, these two men, they were angels we know now, uh, light cascading over them, they stood there. And the women were awestruck, and they bowed down and worship. Now, we miss this. When we think of bowing down and worship, we kind of bow down or we kneel at an altar. Friends, when the Bible says worship, that means that they are flat on their faces, down. Prostrate before the Lord. Okay? And so what, and, and many times in the Bible you'll read about uh, worshiping a king or worshiping Jesus. And they'll say that they worshiped him and grabbed his feet. And the only way you can do that is if you were face down grabbing feet. It was a way to show your humility and honor to that person. And they say this. The, the men said, the angels say this. Why are you looking for the living one, Jesus, in a cemetery? That's a really great question, isn't it? Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here. He's raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee, some nine days journey to the north, that he had been handed over to sinners to be killed on a cross and in three days rise up, and that's exactly what had happened. Then they remembered Jesus' words. And they left the tomb and they broke the news of all of this to the eleven and the rest. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles, to Jesus' followers, formerly the disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. An apostle is someone who has seen the risen Lord. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. The women got the news and they went and told them and they didn't believe them. They thought they were making it all up. So Peter, the first uh, bishop of the church, he jumps up, he goes to his feet, he runs to the tomb and he stoops to look in. And he saw a few grave clothes, but that's it. And he walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Now, this is the core of our faith, friends. There's lots of good teachings other places, but this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. To accept this story as truth. We don't know how it happened exactly. What we claim is that Jesus is alive and with us. And because he's with us, he lives in us and he's to make us different. And so what we, what we find here in this story is that the women had to come back to finish their burial work. This is something they would have been very distraught over. And that it was women's work. It was um, a very low sort of job to care for the dead. That's your blank there. That, that they had to care for the dead. It wasn't something that men would do. And, and women and children were basically had no status in society at that time. Women could not even enter into contracts in Jesus' day. They, if they were lucky enough to have had a son, that 12-year-old son or older could enter into a contract for them. Now, isn't it interesting that God chooses the nobodies of the world to bless the world? And that should be really good news for us, friends, because wherever you are, whatever you think of yourself, God has already proven that he trusts the most important message of the resurrection of his son with ordinary people like you and me. But this is the great thing about God, isn't it? That they had returned for an ordinary chore and had an extraordinary encounter with God. And that's how it is, that we do these ordinary chores and we have extraordinary encounters with God if we're open to it. 
And that's where I think the church misses it oftentimes. Certainly uh, around Edmond, where you know we like to go to a thunder game with the lights and the flashes and the smoke and the you know and the big music and the whole thing. And and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to see where God's working, it's more often in the quiet places, by a hospital bed. Maybe in the middle of the night, the Lord's talking to you. Maybe in the very ordinary things of changing poopy diapers, taking out the trash, feeding the dog, reading your Bible with your kids. You see, God's always ready to take an ordinary chore and make an extraordinary adventure. That's who God is. He takes the mundane of our lives and works with us. So God trusts these women with the most important message the world has ever received. And that's a great question, isn't it? Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? You see, Jesus isn't a martyr. He's a hero. He's our Savior. He's alive today through the Spirit of Christ. So let me ask you this. If you were looking for Jesus, where might Jesus be today? Where would you find him? Where do we still look for him? You know, and sometimes I think we we look for him in sort of some dead places. Maybe the places that we found him when we were younger, maybe when we went to church camp and, you know, we don't really think of Jesus being anywhere but that, that place where we first saw him. Friends, Jesus is all over the place. I want to encourage you to think about where he might be today. And when we do actually have the courage to follow him, just know this, lots of other people that we love and respect, they may not believe a word we're saying. That's okay. Even Jesus' closest followers, the apostles, they didn't believe the women. That's a part of the story. There's nothing in the Bible that says, if you follow Jesus and he lives in you, everything will be all right in this life at the moment. Maybe your life may be, get really great and some wonderful things happen, but there's also going to be some troubles along the way. So later in the story in Luke 24, this is point two, uh, Jesus says this, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this, the whole of Jesus' life. All the things written about me in the law of Moses. Now, I would remind you that the law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah. If you know them, say them with me. They are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of that is the law of Moses. And then, he says, in the prophets. Now, this would be more difficult. The prophets include everything written in Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All of that too, Jesus says. All of that boils down to this. And then, of course, the, the readings and the Psalms. All of this had to be fulfilled. And Jesus goes on and he opens their understanding of the Word of God. And he showed them how to read their Bibles in this way. And he said, you can see now... Now that all of this has happened, how it's written that the Messiah, meaning Jesus, a name he's using for himself as God's son, suffers and dies on the cross, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change. That's what I want you to remember tonight, friends. That's why Jesus came, as that you could have a total life change. Not your life that you had yesterday with a little churchiness on it. It's not what he came to do. Total life change. That's what Jesus is here to do. Through the forgiveness of sins. And that's to be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations. How many nations? All of them starting from here. From here. From right where you are. Um, and from Jerusalem because that's where they were. Right? But it's from here. And he says, you're the first to hear and see it. You're the witnesses. Now all the witnesses is to say what they've seen. It's not an apologist. 
They don't have to figure out all their theology. They don't have to answer every question. All they have to say is what they've seen, what they know. And that's really what it is to share Jesus in this world, to simply share what Jesus has done in your life, to say, this is where I saw God this week. This is what I think God's doing in my life. I'm so grateful for my life being this way, and now it's that way. I'm looking for that total life change that Jesus comes to give all his children. And then he says this, what comes next is very important. I'm sending what my Father has promised to you, which is the Spirit of God. So stay here in the city until he arrives, the Holy Spirit, until you're equipped with power from on high. This power is for you to be able to do the things that you could not do before. Those things that you've struggled with, those addictions, those thoughts, those patterns, those relationships that have never worked for you, when you receive Christ into your life, when you receive the Holy Spirit into your life, it's not that it gets easy, it gets possible. And grace is not opposed to effort. The church really messes this up often. Grace requires a great deal of effort, but it's different from earning. Earning's about attitude. You can never earn God's grace, but it does require our effort. And that's an important thing. So then Jesus leads them out to the city over to Bethany, and he raises his hands and he blesses them, because that's who Jesus is. He's a God of blessing, and he blesses them. And he, and he leaves, and he's being carried up into heaven, and they were on their knees worshiping him, and they returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy, and they spent all their time in the temple right? In church, praising God. And then they would go out and let the world know about Jesus. So where does it start? Here, tonight, with us. Where does it go to? All nations. That's the good news. And it's simply the things that you come to know and live and see what God is doing in you and your families. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'd ask that we would receive power from on high tonight. And the other Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this uh, at the very end of that Gospel, in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, if you'll read it with me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, around here, when we see the word therefore, we always ask this question. What is the therefore, therefore? That's your question. Whenever you see that in the Bible, you should ask. You say, well, what is the therefore, therefore? So you, you always have to go back into the scripture and say, well, what, what comes before that? So if you look back into verses 16 to 18, this is what the therefore is there for. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, which is up in the north, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some what? Doubted. Now, these are people who have been following him for three years. Friends, if you have doubts in your faith, it's okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the disciples, the gospel writers, they had doubts. And it's in our doubts where our faith grows. When we doubt if we're good parents, that's the place that God helps us learn how to be a good parent. When we doubt if our marriage is going to make it, God helps us learn how to hold it together, to trust him in ways that, you know, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and it's just not working out. We trust God to get us to the next day. So when they saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Friends, that's just part of how life is. That's, that's real life. Jesus came near and spoke to them. He says, I've received all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Now, there's two Greek words around this word authority that are super important. One is a Greek word known as exousia, which is a title. So you have authority. And many of you all know what this is like. You may have worked for somebody who was your boss, who had the title of your boss but they had no power to pull it off. And that, that, that's annoying, isn't it? I mean, you have the boss, and yeah, he's got the title, but he cannot do the job. And it's so frustrating for everyone because 
Everybody knows he's supposed or she's supposed to know how to do it, but they just don't know how to do it. They just can't get it done. They've got the title, but they don't have any power to get it done. That's exousia, title, which can be a good thing, but it may not mean anything at all. It's just the title, the authority. On the other hand, there's this other thing. Maybe you've worked with somebody. They didn't have the title, but man, they could get it done. You love those people, don't you? You're just like, man, they don't have a title. They may not have an office. They may not have a desk. But if you want something done, you go see Susie because Susie gets it done. That's dunamis. That's the Greek word dunamis. So you have exousia, which is authority, title, privilege even, if you will. But then you have this dunamis power, really getting it done. And what Jesus is saying is all exousia, all titles, Messiah, Christ, God, Son of David, that's mine. And dunamis, the power to get it done, I've got that too. In heaven and on earth. And he proved it. The lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the blind would see. So that is... Right? This all comes before the therefore. Jesus says, all authority, all exousia, all dunamis is mine in heaven and on earth for all time. Therefore, do what? Go. Therefore, go. Because you don't have to worry about it. If Jesus lives in you, if Jesus is with you, he has all authority, all power. Therefore, because that's the case, because he lives in you, don't be afraid. Go and make followers, apprentices, that's what disciples are, of all nations, starting here your family, your children, your neighbors, your friends. And we invite them to be baptized, receive the same gift that we've received in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because even in God's self, it's about community. Teaching them and ourselves to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And he says this, look, I myself will be with you every day. How many days? Every day. Till the end of the age. This is God's promise to us, Jesus to all of his followers. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus is going to be with us every day. Now, I've known some of you for more than a decade, and, and even now, you may be thinking, okay, Mark, sure, you know, really? You, you, don't, you don't know. I mean, my kid's been in and out of school, got some drug issues, got some addiction issues, got some mental health issues, you know, you know, Jesus, I don't know what he's been doing. Doesn't look like that. What I found in my 47 years of life, the older I get, is that I don't trust much written uh, in the last 100 years. If I really want to know truth that I believe is self-authenticating, when you hear it, you know it kind of a thing, I normally have to go back about 1,000 years where people actually had time to think, their cell phones weren't going off, that sort of a thing, where they could actually, you know, get their mind right with God. So I want you to hear what uh, St. Francis, I want to go back to him for just a second. He said this, and I think he's exactly right. So when you get to that where you think you have no hope and you just don't know what to do, he says this, start by doing what's necessary. Okay? Will you say that with me? We start by doing what first? What's necessary. Okay? You got to feed the kids. You, you got to, you know, eat. You got to sleep. Do what's necessary. Then he says this, after you get the necessary down, then do what's what? Possible. Do what's possible. First, do what's necessary. Then second, do what's possible. And then suddenly, you know what he says? You are doing the impossible. Those very things that you didn't think you could do, you're doing. You're doing. And as a parent who's going to take my second-year college student back to college on Wednesday, friends, I remember what it's like to have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And, and you think, and that's not possible. 
And so you just do what's necessary. You just change them. No, really, you got to change them. And, and you got to keep feeding them. And you sleep as you can. When they go to sleep, you sleep. Because otherwise, you're up all time. So you do what's necessary. And then you do what's possible. And next thing you know, you've done the impossible. They've gone to kindergarten. They've gotten all the way through elementary school. Next thing you know, they survive middle school. And next thing you know, they get out of high school and they go on. And if I hope in a few years, they'll get out of college and give me grandbabies. Be awesome. Those things that right are, seemed impossible at the time, they become possible by doing what's necessary and then doing next what's possible. And then before you know it, suddenly you're doing the impossible. And around here, friends, we simply try to live into what the church has done uh, for thousands of years. In Acts 2.42, it says this. The church, this is what God calls us to do, to devote ourselves, really fully to devote ourselves to Scripture, to the apostles' teaching, and then to take care of one another and those around us, fellowship, really looking out for one another, to be empowered by uh, the meal itself of Christ coming and being powered by the sacrament of communion and praying for one another. It's very powerful to pray for one another. It's a good and wonderful thing. And we take steps after step after step. And you know, it's never too early or too late to do a small kindness in the name of God. I was on the phone this afternoon with a good friend of mine. And I don't even really hardly remember this day. All I remember was the summertime and her mom had died and she asked me to go to the funeral with her, which I did. I was glad to do it. This lady was very precious to me, is very precious to me. But today, even three years later, she made it a point, it was very important to her to let me know how powerful this day that she was dreading she was just so fearful of and didn't want to go to her own mother's funeral she was just broken-hearted about it and she recounted almost minute by minute moment by moment things that had happened that day that i had quite frankly pretty much forgotten about you never know what your small kindness in your mind may have a huge impact in somebody else she remembered me standing with her, helping her get into uh, the church. wasn't even held here. It was held at another church, another part of the city. She remembers uh, Carolyn Smith, our lay leader, and I sitting with her that day. Um, my folks were there as well, just, just being there because we're her family. She remembered us helping her get to her car and, and get home. didn't seem like a big deal to me at the time. But it was life-changing for her. She now has a great relationship with the rest of her family and celebrates and has a very good life. She's so thankful. But friends, this, this starts with surrender. You know, we like hearing things uh, at church about the easy stuff. You know, things like, well, no matter how much you mess up, God still loves you. That's true and that's great. And, and, and you'll love it when I, you know, give you the sermons that say, you know, you're busy and you're exhausted. God wants you to be rested and refreshed. That sounds good too. And that is true. That's true too. But it's also true that all of these wonderful things all start with surrender. Where we remember that God is God and we are not. Because friends, the good news of Jesus includes this, that Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want. That's not what he came to do. He came to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants. That's what Jesus is here to do. And if you're open to that, miracles can happen. And if you're not open to that, not much is going to change. And you'll be really frustrated. Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants. And it starts with surrender. Where we reach our hands towards heaven and we ask for help. 
trusting that our loving and wonderful Father will pick us up in His arms once again and welcome us with joy and wisdom and power and authority that cannot be taken away. In Jesus' name. Surrender. And friends, what this looks like is that we no longer are in charge of outcomes. We pray and we let God have the outcomes. And we live in His joy. And if you really want to become a radical follower of Jesus, start with the discipline of never having the last word again. Whatever conversation you're having with your spouse, and she says, I think it's this way, you go, you're right, honey. You bet, sure. Great. You don't have to have the last word and you don't have to control outcomes. It's a very freeing thing to give up the idea that you're in charge of the world. God's got it. You get to enjoy it. I hope you will. As an action step, friends, I want you to think about how you might share the good news beyond Easter Sunday. Around here we say, He is risen, and He is risen indeed. It's a way to remember we're Easter people. But that's not the end of the story. So I invite you here to list some ideas of ways that you might share the good news um, without words. Maybe bringing food to a sick friend or praying with someone even over the phone. Listening, giving a hug, being present. See, God is alive and well and with us. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? I have a a, a beautiful prayer I found that I, I think fits for tonight, and I'd like for you to pray it with me. Gracious Lord, for many, the gospel seems too good to be true. When life looks so unforgettably bad, how can I believe something so impossibly good? I pray that you do what only you are able, birth Christ's life in me through the work of your Holy Spirit.